Um, we are in Matthew, the uh, 17th chapter, and uh, picking it up at verse 22. Now, if you remember, what we just read was uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, were ministering to people, and this one guy brings his son to Jesus' disciples to uh, have them pray for him. Jesus wasn't always the one doing all the praying and healing, uh, because the, the crowds were so huge, he had given his power to the disciples. And they too had done many, many miracles. And uh, But when it came to this kid, they couldn't help him. Uh, he had a demon, and, and we don't know why they couldn't help him. We don't know the circumstances. As I've pointed out, the Bible is not a collection of stories. These guys, if it's stories, they're terrible storytellers. Because a story is a story. They give you details and who thought this and what. I wish they would give that. There's a million questions I have. They would love to know what they were thinking in, in a lot of scenarios. But the Bible doesn't do that. It just pretty much gives you the facts. This is what happened. So we don't know why. Was the kid foaming at the mouth? Was he floating off the ground? Who knows? What was, all we know is when it comes to this kid, they just, ah, they couldn't, they couldn't help him. So the father comes to Jesus and said, look, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. And Jesus is ticked off. And he basically yells at the disciples for not having faith. And he heals the kid and, and then the, the kid is fine. Uh, and then in verse 22 it says, when they came together in Galilee, he says to his disciples, look, the son of man, talking about himself. That's why he always referred to himself, the son of man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So these guys are kind of despondent at this point. They're having a bad few days. They just got yelled at. for not having enough faith in the situation. They don't understand. Jesus is talking about dying. They're kind of bummed. And they didn't understand what he's talking about. You know, what's with the dying? What do you, it didn't become clear to them until after it happened. Uh, so here, that's, that's the environment. Okay, everybody's kind of... Bleh. Well, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and said, hey, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter said, sure, of course he does. So then Peter goes in the house, obviously, to say to Jesus, hey, the temple tax guys are here. What do you want to do about it? But when he comes into the house, it says Jesus was the first to speak. So he beats him to the punch. And as soon as he sees him, he says, hey, Simon, what do you think? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? And I can imagine Peter thinking, how did you know I was going to ask you about taxes? You know, it's just one of these ways how, how God always knows what's going on. It was kind of a neat little way to show to Peter that he knows what's happening. All right? He said, so anyway, who, who do the kings of the earth collect taxes from? From their own children or from others? I mean, if you're the king... Do you go to your own family and say, hey, cough up taxes? Or do you go to the, your subjects and ask them for taxes? Well, of course, you go to the subjects, which is what Peter says. He goes, well, you get it from others. And then Jesus, well, then, then the children are exempt. His point being, I am the son of the living God, the Messiah. He knew who he was. And here these guys want to come and collect the temple tax. And he's like, I shouldn't have to pay the temple tax. But then we see this next phrase Jesus says this but so that we may not cause offense in other words so we don't get into it with them so we don't get a big fight uh, 
let's do something else. Which is an interesting thing. Here we see an example of Jesus saying, you know, choosing his battles. Okay? And if there's one thing you're going to have to do in life if you're going to succeed, is you've got to choose your battles. If you're going to get along with people, you have to choose your battles. If you're going to live with a wife, you have to choose your battles. If you live with a husband, you got to choose. You can't make everything a federal offense. If you're going to succeed even with children, choose your battles. You don't have to freak out about everything. Now, to a fun-natured person like myself and those of you out there, these words are encouraging words because we don't like to make deals out of much of anything. To very peace-oriented people, you just want to get along with everybody, those are encouraging. But it's, it's the real perfect-natured people that drives crazy. You perfectionists, everything's got to be just the right way or if it isn't, it drives you crazy. You know, if the laundry isn't folded just the right way, if the dishes aren't put in the dishwasher the right way, I mean, everything to you, everything. It's a never-ending series of, ah, freaking out. Seriously, check your medication. Stop it. Don't freak out about everything. If you make everything a big deal, you're going to come off as a monster to people. Just relax, okay? Choose your battles. If everything is a constant battle, everything's not quite perfect, you come unglued, you're just going to freak everybody out. You're going to traumatize your kids. Just relax. I know you want everything. Well, I just want the best. La, la, la. I know, I know, I know. Just take it easy. Okay? Breathe. Okay? Everything doesn't have to be a big stinking deal all the time. Even Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God had to just go, okay, you know, let's not make a big deal out of this. All right? You need to learn to relax a little bit in life or you're not going to live very long. <laughs> okay, stress is a bad thing. You know, that's why I always encourage people to have big families. So the people with big families seem to have less stress. The most stressed out people in the world are people who have one or two kids. Everything that goes wrong, they just come unglued. Ah! Just, you see women with three or four kids, they're the most relaxed people on earth. Why? You learn to relax. The first kid, everything's a federal offense. Oh, the third kid comes along, falls down and steps on fire. He's fine. <laughs> Bobby, put out your brother. Put, put him out. He's burning. You, know, you, just, you learn to relax a little bit, okay? The thing about having lots of kids, it puts things into perspective. You want to have less stress? Have more babies. All right. That's what I say. Outbreed the pagans. Praise God. All right. So. So anyway, so, so he said, so that we don't have a big fit about it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the lake and throw out your line. <laughs> what? We're talking about taxes here. And how you even knew I was going to talk about taxes, that's a whole other issue. But we need to pay the tax, and your advice is go fishing? And he says, that's what he says. So he says, God, here's how, here's how we're going to take care of the taxes. We're going to go, I want you to go out fishing, throw out your line, the first fish that you catch. Open its mouth, and you will find in it a four drachma coin. Remember, it was a two drachma tax. 
He says, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. That was pretty specific. <laughs> Go fishing, first fish you catch, open his mouth, there's the money. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, what's the point of all this? This was just a cool God moment for Peter, which is what I want to talk to all of you about this morning, about special cool God moments in your life. And here's the thing about some of these God moments. They're often, they're not that big of a deal. It doesn't change heaven and earth. It doesn't bring peace to the Middle East. It doesn't, you know, make Democrats and Republicans like each other. It's, it's just, they're just small, almost insignificant things, but yet you know it's God showing up. Doing some things is just his way of letting you know that you matter. And it helps to build your faith in life. You have to understand, Jesus wasn't poor. I know a lot of people think Jesus was poor. He wasn't poor. Uh, what made him seem poor is uh, he didn't keep the money he had. People gave him a lot of money. Uh, so much so that one of the disciples had the job of just getting rid of it. You guys know who he was? Judas. That was Judas. All right. Judas, that was his job, getting rid of the money. Now, Pastor Lathan, it would be awesome. Pastor Ross, it would be awesome. Pastor Chad, it would be awesome. If we had so much money coming into the church that we had to hire someone just to get rid of it. We're not quite there. All right? <laughs> but that would be a very cool problem, right? Okay? That's how. Now, yeah, you say, well, why would he have so much money? Look, nothing causes people to be more thankful than when you save their lives, right? You say you do something dramatic, and people are extremely grateful. Jesus, I mean, you have a daughter who's on the verge of death, and Jesus comes and prays for her, and now she's running around happy and healthy. You are one grateful dude. They gave him lots of money. The thing with him is just he didn't keep it. He just kept giving it to the poor, giving it to others, kept little to nothing for himself, and just traveled and you know. Didn't have a house or anything, so he didn't hang on to the wealth. So the idea that, you know, they were walking around like, you know, a bunch of bag people, you know, going through the garbage trying to find fish bones to make it to the lake, that was not their problem. These cats had money. They just didn't hang on to it. Okay. And uh, it would have been very easy for Jesus to said to Peter, you know, just go hit up Judas. He's got the cash. But instead, he sends them on this little wild goose chase, this little God moment. Why don't you go fishing? First fish you find, open its mouth, and there will be the money that you need. Now remember, up to this point, they're filled with grief, they're a little discouraged, things aren't going well. <laughs> you know, you ever been there? <laughs> You're trying to have a life of faith, and you, you, you think, well, I suck at this, this isn't working for me. And then you're kind of discouraged, and then in the midst of that discouragement, comes this cool little God. I'm pretty sure by the time Peter opens up the mouth and sees this coin, he is pretty blown away. He's like, wow. Now, did it really do anything? Not really. Did it change anything in the world? Not really. It was just a God moment for Peter where he says, wow, God really knows what's going on. And he can do anything. And as small as a moment as that was, it was extremely powerful. Let me encourage you 
to keep your eyes open for God moments in your life. These are moments that just build your faith and give you great energy. People often have asked us, gee, how do you handle it when you know your wife had cancer or you had this big challenge or you know it seemed like nothing was going to... I would have been so afraid. I would have been so freaked out. Why would you? They don't understand that there was lots of little God moments before that that just make you feel so secure by the time you get to the big moment. So you don't just walk up to the big moments. The people I feel the sorriest for are the ones who are facing big moments and some of you might be like that and have never really experienced any small God moments. These are the people I feel the sorry. I don't feel sorry if you have a big moment. We all have big moments. I just feel sorry that for some of you, you've never had the small moments because those big moments seem to be crushing you. Look for the little moments where God can show up and build your faith. I love hearing the stories that uh, many people in our congregation share with me. Uh, there was a couple uh, at one of our campuses here who... Uh, we're out fishing one day. More fishing stories over there. They're out fishing and uh, they were talking about, you know, they weren't catching it. They're just kind of hanging out there. And they're talking about tithing, uh, which is this concept. Now, tithing is kind of a generic term people use today about the money you give every Sunday is considered your tithe. Well, technically, it's, it comes from a very old word, the tithe, which means the tenth. Uh, it's always been the biblical standard from the beginning of the Bible all the way through of giving 10% of your income to God, which sounds like a whole lot, especially to those of you who you know, tip God with you know, a dollar or two on a Sunday. But uh, the actual standard is 10%. You come home with $1,000, you give $100. That's always been that way from the Bible. And we talk about that. We encourage it. Not everybody does it, but we certainly encourage it. In fact, the Bible encourages it. It's the one area, it's the only area in the Bible where God says, test me. Put me to the test. And see what I do. See what I give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Say, I don't believe that. That's why your life sucks. Because you don't believe it. You say, hang on everything, hang on so tight you squeak. Well, how come God doesn't bless me? Because you're so tight. You got to learn to be generous. If you will be generous to others, God will be generous to you. Anyway, really hard for people. That's that one area. He says, test me on this. And no other area you're supposed to do that. For example, God says, I'll protect you. Well, you can't just hop in your car after the service and go ripping through town 150 miles an hour. God will protect us. You're going to get self-killed. That's exactly what's going to happen. Say, well, where was God? He's in the back seat, man. No, actually, he got out. (laughs) The minute you passed 75, he hopped out. You're on your own from there, Jack. You're going to kill yourself. Why didn't he protect you? You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to put God to the test. And no other area of the Bible is supposed to put God to the test except in that one area. Giving. Give and see what happens. So this couple's talking about this. And they're saying, well, you know, what do you think about that? I don't know, it seems like a pretty big step. And, well, they talk about trusting God and just, well, let's do it. Let's put God to this. See what happens. You know, you can always stop. Which, is, by the way, it's true for any of you. Some of you guys just, no, it'll never work. Why don't you try it and see? No, no, no. You know, just, my precious, my precious. I love my money. You know. Learn to give. So anyway. They finally said, you know, okay, let's do it. Let's see what happens. They said, when they finally sat there and decided they were going to start doing this, that a fish jumped out of the water and landed in the boat. You say, well, that's just a coincidence, maybe. 
But to them, it was a God moment. Little moments that are really insignificant. Why would God do that? I don't know. Just the way of saying, I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm here. And it builds people's faith. I was just talking to one of the couples from one of our campuses. They're in the diamond business, you know, brokers and stuff like that. And uh, they were, uh, I don't know how many of you heard about this big diamond heist that happened not a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, in Europe or something. And uh, these guys came in, it was really well done. They all came in as cops and in cop cars and everything else. And they picked up all these, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what they were called, you know, cases, not cases, but, you know, these, what are the packages? Yeah, packages of, of diamonds, these parcels of diamonds. Put them in the cop cars, took off, and then they found out later they weren't cops. <laughs> so they got away with just millions of dollars of diamonds, you know. They ripped it off. So anyway, uh, what they were sharing with me at the time was, they said, you know, this is the first time they'd ever gotten involved in a church that was doing Lent. You know, with Ash Wednesday and giving something up, fasting or sacrificing something or something, which, which is a neat thing that many of you are doing as a way of growing close to God during this time of Lent. And they were talking about how cool it was and it was feeling so neat and, and they felt so blessed. And all of a sudden they heard about this. And they said, we had a shipment going through that day. And she said, I asked him, do you think they got our diamonds? Oh, those so many shipments over there, there's, there's no way that it would have happened. Well, then they get a call from their broker over there. Did you hear what happened with the diamonds? Yeah, he says, yeah. He says, your diamonds were among that group of diamonds. He says, there was 121 parcels of diamonds. These guys came and took 120 of them. There was one parcel they left. They said, really? He says, yeah. Coincidentally, it was yours. Well, isn't that cool? It was a coincidence. Maybe. Maybe it was a God moment. Certainly the way they took it. And stop and think about it. It's just a way to build your faith. It wouldn't have been the end of the world to them. There's always insurance and all that, but it would have been a big hassle and stuff. Sometimes a lot of these God moments, they're not life and death moments. They're just moments where God shows up and you find a coin in the mouth of a fish. That meets your need. It lets you know God is there for you. My wife and I have had so many. I could spend hours telling some of the stories we had. When I was thinking of this message this morning, I, I remember the time when we were in Marshfield, Wisconsin, where we lived there. And at the time, we had been we had gotten out of ministry from the moment we graduated from high school. Until our early 30s, we were in full-time Christian ministry. Missionary work and traveling here and there and pastoring and licensed and all this stuff. Working as pastors and churches. And by the time I hit my early 30s, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> I just, nobody listens to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe I should do something else. So we got out of the ministry, okay? Now, we weren't out smoking crack we just got out of the ministry and you know we're just, you know it's like you guys we we're sitting out there we're still involved in the church but just we weren't up here we we're out there for 17 years we did this. we started our own business there was a trip to hell you know <laughs> everybody oh i wish i had my own business yeah it's really fun you know i can do whatever i want yeah, all you business owners right that's the way it is right you get to do anything you want no problems peace in the valley right now look there's a great payoff but it's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of sacrifice. Anybody who has their own business knows you start out lots of sacrifice to the point that most people would just rather not do it. 
and even take the risk. And it's not like they're guaranteed. 80% of all new businesses fail. That's a high percentage. So it's, it's tough. Tough haul. It's great when it works. But anyway, so we start doing this. And, of course, it's miserable. And it's that early time and nothing's working and cash flows in and out and that and that. So we're renting at some house. And they put the house up for sale and they sold the house. So we had to get out of the house. And we were moving into uh, a new duplex. Not new. It's new to us. And we found a place $400 a month. So it was all timed out. So we're moving in. And of course, that week was a bad week in the biz. And I, by the time we're moving in, I got nothing. I got no money. It's just awful. We don't have $400 for the rent. And of course, you're praying about it. But, you know, you're just, what are you going to do? I, worst case scenario, I'm going to have to go to the landlord and say, look, can I have a couple extra days or something? It's embarrassing. It's not the end of the world. Again, it wasn't life and death, but it's just... But I remember standing on the uh, porch of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the duplex and this guy drives up in a Cadillac, parks in front of him and he walks out and the guy's got a big old cowboy hat on, cowboy boots and he walks on up. Because the business I had was a recording studio and uh, he says, hi, he says, I'm a country singer. And I said, I thought, yes, you are. And... Uh, <laughs> He said, I heard you got to record. So I want to come and I want to record at your studio. I think, gee, I wonder if I can fit you in. You know, it's because we had nothing. You know, it'd be awesome. I'm, I'm trying not to go, thank you, God. But anyway, you know, oh, oh yeah, that would be, I think we could work that out. That would be. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm not even thinking about the current situation. And he turns and leaves. Well, before I go, he said, I probably should leave a deposit. Now, to understand this business, nobody ever leaves a deposit in our business. You do it and then you get, you know, you know. So he whips out. A wad of $100 bills. And he goes, one, two, three, four. He said, will that cover it? I said, yeah, I, th- I think this will be fine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the guy hops in the Cadillac, drives away. So there, here's our door. Right next door is the landlord. So I just turned around, went to the landlord's door, <laughs> knocked on the door. And uh, I said, here's the rent. And he goes, oh, do you normally pay in cash? No, not normally. <laughs> but uh, now you say, well, that was just a coincidence. Maybe. I think it was a God moment. It's the way I took it. Was it day and night? Would you have died with it? No, but it was just the neat, perfect timing where God shows up and does something neat in you. I'm telling you, it's those moments that build your faith. Look for the God moments in your life. And we all have them. I was talking to Pastor Joe. He's over at Appleton this morning and uh I said, Joe, I said, what's, what's, what's one of your cool God moments? He, he tells me the story. He says, uh, he says we were in India, because he, he was in missions work for a long time. He said, we're in India. And he said, what you do when you go into some of these countries, you get up and you preach about Jesus being the Son of God and stuff like that. Uh, but then as soon as you're done, then you say, listen, if any of you are sick or something, come up here, we're going to pray for you and prove to you that God is real. Now stop and think, that's really different than the way we do it here. We try to reason with people's heads, right? Try to get them to believe in their brains and try and convince them and soften their hearts. But if you read the Bible, the way they actually do it, they would preach the gospel and then they would pray for people and God would show up and they would blow their minds and give them their own, their own little God moments, if you will. So he says, well, it was cool. We would preach and we'd start praying for people and people, they weren't even saved. They were non-Christians. They were coming all of a sudden, God would heal them. They're coughing sick, whatever. And wow. 
and this is how they would become believers. Okay, a very biblical model. And uh, so, and he says, but the time he says we're pre-, he says I got dysentery. I'm sicker than a dog, Blah, pooping his brains out. I mean, dysentery is not a good thing. You know, so, sorry to get that image in your brain. But anyway, that's so it's a horrible. You got dysentery. Thank God we don't have much of that around here. But he's so sick. So they're preaching, and now they're going to pray for the sick. Well, he's sicker than a dog. Okay. And you think, I don't have enough faith for myself. But now we're going to pray for people. So the people are gonna, so you're hoping, you know, something easy. You know, like a runny nose. <laughs> or a headache or something. We're going to pray for... He says, well, the guy, first guy in line is a blind guy. And you go, oh, good grief, you know. He can barely stand. He's so sick. You feel like you have no faith at all. But we're in this. So he says, they pray for the guy... And it says, can you see anything? And the guy goes, yeah. And Joe goes, really? Because <laughs> pretty bad when the guy prayed for you doesn't believe. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sicker than a dog and you can see. You know, which misses with your head. How can that be? How come I'm sick and these guys healing blind people? How many fingers? Three. How many fingers? One. The guy could see. So it's just an incredible God moment. Why? He didn't have any faith. He was sick. That's the thing about God. Most sometimes they just show up and like it just has nothing to do with you. It's just like God does something cool in your life. You say, "Well, that never happens for me." Look around you. Ask God to do some of these things, even if you're not a believer. You might be here this morning. You're not even a believer in Jesus. You might be visiting one of our campuses. You don't even know why you're here. You might be flipping through TV channels this morning and look at the weirdo. All right, and 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 you you have no. But listen to me, God can show up in your life. Now, God's not the kind of guy that well, if you're God, you know, zap that frog or something, turn him into a pony, or he's not going to do stuff like that. I don't think. But uh, if he does, write me. I want to hear it. But uh, more than likely, it's just a simple prayer. Not not only you're trying to God to perform. You're just you're really honest. If you're really sincere in your heart, and you say, look, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And just watch what God will do. There's so many, so even people, listen to me right now, that this has happened in your life. God would show up and he started showing himself to you. It might be something really tiny, insignificant thing to everybody else in the world, but not to you. You know, wow, this, there's something different about this. This has the touch of God on it. That's what a God moment has. Sometimes they're also so small, people can just say, well, it's just a coincidence. But, no, you know it's not because it has a certain touch about it. It's a God moment. This is how these small moments about building your faith. So when you face the big challenges in your life, you can face them with great confidence. Not because of the big thing, but because of all the little things that God showed up in your life. Let me close with this. You remember the story of David and Goliath? This whole army is terrified. This monster of a man challenging the armies of Israel. And back in those days, they didn't have guns and stuff. It was mano y mano. I got a bigger stick than you. You know, I mean, it's like, ugh. So, you know, guns are great for little guys like me. <laughs> They're equalizers. <laughs> but back in that day, it was, ooh, the big guys, you know. So the whole army's looking. They're all freaked out. And this 17-year-old, everybody thinks he's about that age, 16, 17 punk kid steps up and says I can take him and everyone, what are you talking about I can take that guy and so the king hears about it 
bring him over to me. What makes you think he can take him? And then David tells him the story. He says, once when I was watching the sheep, he was just a sheep herder. He wasn't a warrior. He said, but once when I was watching the sheep, this bear comes in and grabs one of the sheep. And I beat the bear and it dropped the sheep. And I killed the bear. Another time a lion comes and I killed the lion. He says, the same God who helped me kill the lion and the bear will help me kill this giant warrior. See, he had the confidence, not because he'd ever faced a warrior. He wasn't one himself. But he'd had those smaller God moments in his life. And the king looked at him. He could sense there was something different about the confidence he had. He said, all right, go for it. We all know the story. Grabs a slingshot. Zap! Knocks the guy down, cuts his head off. <laughs> the army goes, woo! <laughs> they chased, and they had a great victory that day. But it's not because of getting great faith at that moment. It was because of the smaller God moments before it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, I thank you that you do reveal yourself to people in many ways, oftentimes small ways, but they're powerful ways. Lord, we thank you for the story of Peter at this moment when they were kind of discouraged. You gave him just this little miracle. Not really dramatic by many measure. It was just a four drachma coin, but it was a God moment for him. Building, encouraging him his faith. Thank you for the stories we hear of how you show up in people's lives who reach out to you. I pray for those listening to me right now, Lord, that maybe they, they've so sheltered their life, they're so busy about life, they never give you a chance to show up in their lives, that you would help them to slow down. Stop, look, listen. For people maybe who are listening to me right now who don't even have the most fundamental idea of who God is, Lord, that you would start to show up in their lives. Start to reveal yourself to them. Bring God moments into people's lives, Lord, so that faith can become bigger and stronger in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you. Amen.